Welcome back, everyone. This is the second hour of Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. Show, as always, brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. And now my next guest, uh, the first time um, I read some of her work in The Athletic, and also first time I caught her podcast, the Too Many Men podcast, was listening to the uh, one of my favorite podcasts, the Dan Lebertard Show, and the hosts were on that on the part of the Metalark Media, and uh, it was just really cool listening to them try to explain uh, some of the intricacies of the NHL to individuals from southern florida uh it is shana goldman uh shana thank you so much for joining the show today thanks for having me and thanks for listening to the podcast what's that and thanks for listening to the podcast Oh, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a podcast junkie, and I love just listening to as many different ones and just getting as many different perspectives out there. And, yeah, I would recommend everyone go check out the Too Many Men podcast, and you can find it on, you know, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever quality podcasts are sold. So a, a cabillion stories to get to, but let's start here. I have a theory that the entire Western Conference is all gunning for Connor Bedard because every trade is sending players from the West to out East, and no Western team is making a splash. I mean, the the imbalance we've seen is ridiculous this year, isn't it? Yeah, it really is something. Um, The East is loading up left, right, and sideways, and the Western Conference has been super quiet, except for, you know, Dallas making a trade. And we saw Nina Ryder going to Winnipeg. So we're seeing like little yep. bits trickle from the West. But, you know, the, the really intriguing part is the role that a team like Minnesota's played. They're trying to stop everyone from going West by retaining little chunks of salary so they don't have to compete against these players. So I do like that <laughs> aspect of it. But the Western <laughs> Conference absolutely has to wake up. And it'll be interesting once Eastern teams start selling, like the Flyers, like the Canadians. Maybe that's why we're not seeing as many players flock to the West just yet. But, you know, clock is ticking. Yeah, it is. And there's, I mean, the thing is, the West can start making moves, but this is like going shopping on Christmas Eve. All the good gifts have already been, uh, have already been taken off, off the racks. I mean, let's just go to the latest one. Thoughts on now, uh, worst kept secret, Patrick Kane traded to, uh, to the Rangers, one of the many teams in the East that is loading up. Uh, Rangers get Kane and a conditional second round pick. And, uh, uh the, oh, the Rangers are getting Patrick Kane. And then uh, I got to see, see what's going back to Chicago. But anyway, it's, it's going to be for a bunch of picks. Oh, yeah, for a conditional second-round pick. I'm a dummy. Uh, but just your thoughts now of Kane going from Chicago to the Rangers. Yeah, definitely the worst-kept secret. The trade everyone's been waiting for to finally come to fruition fully. You know, the interesting part of it is, like, I think the Rangers, even after acquiring Tarasenko, still had room to make more moves. And we saw that with Tyler Mott and, you know, and acquiring Nikola with Tarasenko as well it did feel like there was a little bit more that needed to be done in New York. And it's because they've had these depth players stepping up into top six and top nine roles that maybe they're not perfectly fit for. So this kind of ensures that there's a fuller lineup and that gives them a little bit more um, versatility and a few more options just in case there's injuries too. You know, you, you never know. It could be a long postseason. They experienced that last year. And anytime you lose a player, then that's another player that, you know, they don't have those really strong 11th and 12th forwards that they can afford to just slap them higher and hope that they click like other teams might. Um, but, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see here. He does have some defensive weaknesses. He isn't as good as he was in his prime, but he's still a good player, and he's still, you know, he's going to be good, you know, with a better team around him. So if they can manage the damage defensively, and thankfully they have a good goaltender, it really does make for – an interesting playoff run that they're gearing up for. 
Yeah, and then the Devils go get Timo Meyer, and they were already fifth in scoring before they did the deal. Uh, let, let, let's uh, focus on the Maple Leafs. I'm curious your view of what uh, the Leafs and Kyle Dubas have done in the past ten, ten days, where it feels like both the ceiling and the roof have been uh, have been raised. Yeah, uh, I, I like it personally. Like I like I like what. I like a lot of the moves going on in the Eastern Conference. Like, I know it's like a big generalization. Do I think all of the returns are equal? No. I think you can look at every trade and go, this is too high or too low. But it's interesting to see the willingness of contenders to spend big picks and bring in pieces. And it's it's a good way to see where they view themselves. You know, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're more willing to spend first-round picks this year than ever before, it feels like. You know, we saw them move up first in the Felino trade. The last year, they didn't move out of first-round pick. This year, you know, they have no problem depleting their draft capital because it seems like they truly view themselves as contenders and having to maximize this year. And the same goes for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, they absolutely overpaid. That's another team where they are right now and how they view themselves. I think it's allowing them to make these moves a little bit more. Let's uh, let's go with that term overpay because one of your recent articles in the Athletic and go grab the Athletic as Shana writes for them and again they do a, a fantastic job beyond Jonas and uh, and Myrtle they interrupt each other way too much in their podcast but uh, that's a subject for another day. Um, you talk uh, about draft pick value and the Lightning and the one quote that struck out to me was uh, uh, Julian Brisebois when he said none of the players we were going to draft with those picks are going to help us win this year or next or probably the year after that. And it is it is curious about the value of draft picks, I think, is different depending on what team you are. Yeah, absolutely. It's what team you are and where you currently are. If you're a contending team, that first-round pick, ideally, if you can make it all the way, is going to be somewhere in the 28 to 32 range, right? That, that valuation of that pick, generally speaking, is not near, you know, those top 10 picks. We see the top five picks are worth so much, and obviously there's a difference between one and five, and there's a disparity within every first overall pick and second overall pick. But really when you get outside that top 10, you see the values shrink from pick to pick to pick. It's not that big of a difference. So when you get down to 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, those picks, from an odds perspective, can equal a second-round pick. It does obviously take some forward thinking in your draft strategy, and it obviously emphasizes the need for development above all else. You can be the worst team at drafting. If you can develop your players, you have something going for you. You can be the best team at drafting, but if you don't develop them, it might not matter unless you're talking that first overall pick. And even then, there's still a developmental component to it. We can see that with New York as a really good example of it. So depending on where that team is, it's okay for them because that pick isn't as valuable. And then the other part of it is, when is that player that they would pick going to be an impact player? The further away you get from the first overall pick, the lower the ceiling the player tends to have, and the longer it tends to take for that player to reach that ceiling. So for a team like Tampa Bay, they don't have, let's say, two, three years to wait for a player to start you know, hitting their stride, and some players take longer than that. It doesn't make sense for them. The tricky part is when they start trading out picks that are so far out, though, because we know the ages of this curve, of this core, and we don't know what they might look like in two or three years. So if they keep trading out picks so far away, other teams should be picking them up on those offers because the pick might be even more valuable. It's different at the end of their playoff window or outside of their window altogether, depending on how things progress the next couple of years versus where they are right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. A 2027 first rounder could be much more valuable from Tampa than one in 2025. I recommend everyone go to The Athletic and check out uh, Shana's recent article on it. It uh, really sort of breaks down why, yes, this is a risk by Tampa, but maybe maybe not much of a risk as you think. Uh, going back to the least for a second, and just what my opening thought on the show was today, I, I need your help. Um, how much more difficult is it going to be for me if the Maple Leafs lose to Tampa in Game 7, 3-1 to one of the first round of the playoffs, how difficult will it be for me to yell, don't bring back Dubas, considering the great job done by Kyle Dubas? I think that Kyle Dubas gets a lot of hate, and it's because he's not the same as other hockey men. You know, he has an analytical background and things like that. So, you know, I think that he's been graded on a tougher curve anyway, and then comes the curve of just, being in Toronto of all places, like hell yeah, it, it it's two things working against him at once. I don't think he's done a bad job with this team. I think he has taken risks. Obviously, look up this year with their goaltending tandem. That was a massive risk going into it, and it has paid off maybe differently than some of us expected too, right? Did anyone think Sam Sonoff would be the better goalie of the tandem? I'm not so sure, but you know, on the other half of it, Matt Murray is injured yet again. That's something a lot of us saw coming. So. You know, I think that he's at the deadline made moves and he's made different moves each year. Yes, the common theme is that he's picked out, you know, different former captains. But you look at the need, you know, the thought for maybe more grit. Nick Foligno makes sense. A need for a good shot suppressor and good, you know, defenseman. Mark Giordano makes sense. And this year he's, he's looking at it from all different perspectives. I think he did a really good job with the trade so far. Ryan O'Reilly absolutely makes sense. He adds a lot of versatility to this lineup. Nolachari is one of the better depth players out there, and I don't think he overspends on them. And you look at the more recent trade, I think that the Blackhawks shortchanged themselves by stacking up their assets together. And I think that Dubis made out really well going for Jake McCabe, who's not a rental, who comes in at a low cap hit with the salary retention, which makes the return look all all the better. And they found one of the actually good shutdown defensemen and not just someone who's going to add size, grit, and playoff you know, style of play for a defenseman who might just be allowing a ton of shots and quality chances back because they're playing that sort of way. So all of the moves I think so far clicked. Yeah. I just wonder if there's more. So I think that I think that Kyle Dubis should be, you know, applauded for what he's done at the deadline. But at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to what this team does in the postseason. He did his job. Now everything else has to come together. Yeah, and that's kind of the funny slash cruel slash uh, fair unfair part of it. And so I was laughing at. It's like, wow, Kyle, you've done a great job. In fact, you've done a great job the last couple of years. And hey, you know, you brought in Campbell and Muzzin, and you did a lot of good stuff. Oh, you lost to Vasilevsky. Ah, we're going to have to fire you, even though it was the players who only scored one goal combined in games six or seven. Eh, it's sports. It's never supposed to be fully fair. Um, what are you looking for as we end this? Uh, what, are you, uh, what are you excited for on Friday beyond watching James Duffy openly weeping uh, in the fifth hour of the trade deadline? Yeah, we're definitely going to have to see if there's anything left to happen. But I'm intrigued if, you know, the Jacob Chickren saga finally ends and if the Coyotes can find a team and figure out whatever their path forward is. Uh, intrigued in that. I want to see if anyone takes, you know, a leap at a player like Verona, who I think has a lot of risk, sure, but a high reward. And uh, I'm curious what some teams who have been a little quieter like the Red Wings and the Sabres and the Kraken do. Those have been the three teams that I've been the most curious about this entire time, and we haven't seen much from them yet. So I, I just want to see what they do. And hopefully 
you know, we see that by Friday and we're not just waiting till the off season to see what their next moves are. My prediction is Jacob Chikram never gets traded, but every year he's number one or two on the trade bait board until he retires at the age of 39 and Arizona retires his jersey. Hey, again, uh, tell everyone uh, where can they get your work? Where can they read you? Where can they hear you? Uh, you can find my work at The Athletic, and you can listen to my podcast, the Too Many Men podcast. It's uh, up every Tuesday and Thursday. Brilliant. Hey, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining the show on such a busy time of year. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That is Shana Goldman. And, again, uh, read her work at The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast.